This morning we will be reading from the English Standard Version. If you are here today with us and you need a Bible to either borrow or to take, there are some on the back table, um, so I invite you to find one of those if you need. This morning we will be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. We're spending this fall studying and learning from the Lord's Prayer, learning how to pray as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And what we've seen over the last few weeks is we pray, Christians pray, to a God who is our Heavenly Father, whose name is holy. And today, Jesus takes us to the second petition out of six petitions, Your Kingdom Come. We're just going to focus on these words today, praying the words and understanding the meaning behind praying, Your Kingdom Come. So I'm sure you've heard about or have watched or have seen in, in recent weeks uh, presidential debates or vice presidential debates. Uh, and if you haven't had the patience to watch these ones, maybe you've watched them years ago or, or decades ago. The first one I ever saw was Dan Quayle and Lloyd Benson in the late 1980s for my, my seventh grade history class, uh, social studies class. I had to watch the, president, the vice presidential debate, and I'll never forget it. You're no Jack Kennedy. I remember that. I was like 12 or 13 years old. So you know what I'm talking about. So imagine Jesus of Nazareth participating in a presidential or vice presidential debate. You know how the moderator will ask the candidates questions like, in your administration, what would you do in such and such a situation? If such and such happened, what would your administration do? And imagine Jesus answering a question like that. Mr. Jesus of Nazareth, in such a situation, what would your administration do? Imagine Jesus answering with something like this. What I'd like to do is, what I'd like to do is, it would look something like a mustard seed, which, uh, you know, is the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And just imagine the audience in silence, just blinking. What is he talking about? And then imagine the moderator saying, uh, uh, Mr. Jesus, you, you've only used about 15 seconds of your two minutes. Uh, could you clarify what you mean by that? And imagine Jesus saying, okay, well, let me put it to you this way. What I would like to do in my administration would be something like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And now the moderator is blinking. Now the moderator's jaw drops in silence. Uh, uh, Mr. Jesus, could, you still have one minute left in your two minutes. Could you please clarify? And imagine Jesus saying, okay, um, what I'd like to do in my administration is, is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. How many people would vote for Jesus if they knew what he planned on doing in his administration? The kingdom of God was Jesus' number one issue. 
If you read the Gospels, he talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven more than anything else. And he used parables like the ones I just quoted to describe the kingdom of God. Now, many people and most people didn't even understand what he was talking about, but everybody who heard him knew that whatever he was talking about, he meant it. Pilate, the Roman governor, was scared when he heard Jesus talking about his kingdom. King Herod, at Jesus' birth, was so scared to hear that the Messiah was born that he basically ordered a local genocide, a mass execution of all young male babies and toddlers, hoping that Jesus would be among them. Whatever Jesus meant about his coming kingdom, he was dead serious about it, and he was even joyful about it, and it's something he tells us we should pray about. The kingdom of God is as real as the chair you're sitting in. And it's something that Jesus said his disciples should always be praying for. And maybe it's the one thing that's going to keep us sane and centered during such a topsy-turvy political climate as we find ourselves in. And I'm not going to talk about politics today. I'm going to talk about the kingdom of God. And I'm going to say that Christians pray to align themselves with God's agenda for human history. When we pray, your kingdom come, this is what we're doing. As Jesus' people, we are aligning ourselves with his agenda for human history. And as I talk about this, I'm going to discuss it in three ways. First, the kingdom of God is a future reality. We haven't really seen it yet. But the kingdom of God is also a present reality. It is real and present among us, if you have the eyes to see it. And finally, the kingdom of God is a personal reality for you and anybody who is willing to say that Jesus is their king, that Jesus is their Lord, that Jesus is their supreme representative and leader. So the kingdom of God is a future reality, it's a present reality, and it's a reality that is personal. Deeply personal and intimate and, and makes all the difference if you are a follower of Jesus. When Jesus says, pray, your kingdom come, these words, it, they're, they're expressing primarily what is an eschatological reality. Eschatology is basically talking about and studying the last things, the things that are going to happen in the end when Jesus returns to make everything right. Another way of saying eschatology is this is a future reality. The kingdom of God is a future reality. Now, in order to understand what Jesus is saying here, we have to look at the background of the kingdom of God in the Bible and the Sermon on the Mount, which is where we're at right now in the Lord's Prayer. The Old Testament was full of imagery and, and language about God's eternal kingdom. For instance, we read about it today already. Psalm 145, David says, your kingdom, God, is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And then God said to David, the true king, the first Messiah, he said, guess what? Your, answer, your descendant, your descendant king, I'm going to establish his throne forever. Forever. That would be the son of David, the Messiah. And here comes Jesus a thousand years after David. Here comes Jesus of Nazareth. And if you look at Mark's gospel, this is the first thing that Jesus began to talk about in his earthly ministry. This is the first thing he said. 
The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of God is near. He would say, the kingdom of God is among you. And he would say, repent and believe in the gospel. That's the good news. The kingdom of God is among you. Repent and believe in the gospels. The first thing Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus said. So, real simple summary of what we mean when the Bible talks about the kingdom of God is this. God's kingdom is His eternal, righteous reign on earth through His Son, Jesus. Now, the nature of God's kingdom is what theologians call inaugurated eschatology. And another way of saying inaugurated eschatology is there is an already and a not yet quality to God's kingdom. We haven't seen it in many ways, and in many ways, it's all around us. And if you, and if you belong to Jesus, it is even in you. All, inaugurated eschatology, the already and not yet aspect of God's kingdom. So, the already aspect of the kingdom of God is that Jesus became a human being, the incarnation. He lived on this world for over three decades. He died on a Roman cross. He physically rose from the dead and was seen by hundreds. And He ascended into heaven. And now and ever since, His Holy Spirit has been indwelling those who believe in Him and follow Him. And in all of these ways, God's kingdom is already inaugurated in human history. It's already here. It's already started. As the Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Gospel, the good news of Christianity is that if you belong to Jesus, a kingdom transfer has taken place. He has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness, ruled by the ruler of this world, and ruled by our sinful nature, and transferred you into the kingdom of the Son He loves, Jesus Christ. And as that news, as the Gospel news transforms people across the centuries, across uh, political, ethnic, linguistic, racial boundaries, uh, class, you name it, as the kingdom of God, this good news transforms people, the kingdom advances. As the Gospel takes root in you, in us, throughout history, the kingdom of God advances. But there's, all, there's also a not yet aspect to God's kingdom. God's reign is not fully seen or known in history. Not yet. And not by anybody. Not by everyone. Not even by a long shot. Think about it. You see it everywhere. Everywhere we look, there's sin, there's sorrow, there's struggle, and we see that death still reigns in the human experience and in nature, right? It doesn't look like God is reigning when you read the news and when you see what's happening in our society and all over the world and when you read the history books. It doesn't look like God's in control. It doesn't look like Jesus is enacting His agenda. St. Augustine offers us some helpful guidance with this. He once said, when Jesus said, pray your kingdom come. Another way of saying that is, may your kingdom be manifested to us. And he went on to say, 
For in the same way also, as a light which is present is absent to those who are blind and to those who shut their eyes, so the kingdom of God, though it never departs from the earth, is yet absent to those who are ignorant of it. But people will not be ignorant of God's kingdom forever. The Bible tells us Jesus will return to judge sin, to defeat death, and to establish His shalom, His peace, His righteousness, His fullness, His blessedness, His full satisfaction for all of His creation. He will restore all things and He will directly, personally rule over humanity and creation. That day is coming, the Bible tells us. And it is that future moment when the kingdom of God, which has already been inaugurated, will finally be consummated. Okay, God will consummate what He originally inaugurated at the death and resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus of Nazareth. As we discover in Revelation chapter 11, we will all someday, every eye, every one, every human being that's ever lived will finally see what is usually unseen today. They will discover that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. And this is what all of human history is headed towards. This is God's goal for all of human history, that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of His Son, our Lord Jesus. That's God's agenda for humanity and for our history. And as Christians, we wait for it in faith. We wait. But we don't remain idle while we wait. And next week, we're going to talk about that. But for this week, Jesus is saying to us in thy kingdom come, your kingdom come, he's saying pray for this to happen. Pray for God's kingdom and pray for the progression of God's agenda to be revealed in human history. Pray for your heavenly Father's agenda to be realized and visible to all. As uh, one author says, it's a sort of leaning forward type of a prayer. As you, as you pray, your heart is leaning forward. You're leaning forward in expectation of what God's going to do. You're leaning forward in, in hope. This is now what you're desiring. You're at the edge of your seat in prayer waiting for God to show up. Waiting for God to move right now. It's training yourself to want that most. To want His reign to finally be revealed and make things right. Now, how does this future kingdom reality, which is mostly hidden now to humanity, definitely hidden in the news, hidden in a lot of our TV shows, our movies, the books that we read, and a lot of the relationships, relationships that we're in, the kingdom of God is in a way hidden. So is there any relevance for it today? Does the future reality of the kingdom of God have any present relevance to us? Yes, it does. You've heard the idea that Christians can be so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. Well, we don't want to live that way. And we don't want to think that way. And if you're not a Christian and you have that concern, you, you may have seen that and you may have a good point. But I'm going to keep talking because I want you to know that Jesus coming back someday has everything to do with your life and my life right now. 
When we pray your kingdom come, there is a present impact. To say to God, Father, may your kingdom come, that has a relevant and an immediate impact to what we're going through right now. And I need to, be, I need to clarify what I mean by that. I do not mean, and, and you're not going to like this when I say this, I do not mean that by voting a certain way, we're bringing the kingdom of God. And I don't mean that by being civically minded as we should be, or, or by being socially active as we should be, that we're bringing the kingdom of God. That's not what Jesus is asking us to pray for. Uh, your elders sent you a letter. I hope you've read it. Uh, but as we said in that letter, these are things that Christians should engage in and even must engage in. But these agendas can't deliver people from the domain of darkness that Jesus has come to destroy. Good politics, good activism, good parenting, good work doesn't deliver people from the dominion of darkness. The gospel delivers people from the dominion of darkness. And we need to be able to make that distinction. Now it's true. Jesus said right here in the Sermon on the Mount that His disciples are like salt and light in the world. We freshen the world up. We expose darkness. We reveal the light of God. The Apostle Paul said that Christians are or should be like the aroma of Christ in all of our relationships, in every endeavor, in all spheres of human existence and culture and art and education and, and marriage and relationships and uh, you name it, in politics, in all things, Christians are to be salt and light and the aroma of Jesus Christ. But it's important to make the distinction that you don't bring the kingdom of God. God brings it. God brings His kingdom. That's why we have to pray, Your kingdom come because we don't have the power to bring it ourselves. God brings His kingdom, and until Jesus comes to consummate the kingdom, God brings His kingdom as His gospel advances. We have to make that distinction as Christians who are also citizens of a geopolitical nation. What I do mean by your kingdom come, what Jesus did mean by your kingdom come is, uh, to borrow the phrase of an author, we are able to live without despair in the world's present situation. This is what we're praying for. This is the immediate, relevant reality of praying the words, your kingdom come. We can live without the despair of the present situation. We can cling to hope. We can cling to doing good work and being responsible and being faithful and being the aroma of Jesus and being salt and light without giving in to despair or to anger. And the key to that is praying, Father, your kingdom come. And we are helpless to bring it ourselves, so would you please bring it? So as Christians, we vote, we organize, we create, we work, we love, we plan, we parent, all without putting hope in these things. And as citizens of God's coming kingdom, we lean forward in our prayers, waiting for Jesus to return. 
So the practical takeaway here is cultivate a desire for Jesus to return in your prayer life. Cultivate a desire in your prayers for Jesus to return and for your life and for our community of faith life to be a foretaste of his return. We can't bring him back ourselves, but we can give our neighbors and the world a foretaste, just a glimpse of what it will be like when he comes back to restore all things and make things right. So here's just an example of how you can pray your kingdom come. Our Father, we praise You because You are unequaled. Your reign is unequal, and it's perfect and pure and good and it is eternal. And we praise You because it cannot be undone. No matter how bad things get, no matter how much we mess things up, Your reign is eternal. And Father, we confess that we have put greater hope and confused Your kingdom with our own nation, our own causes, our own agendas. Father, we thank You that Jesus never did that. He never confused the kingdom of this world with the kingdom of God. He honored Caesar's kingdom, but loved Yours. Thank You. And in His name, Father, I ask that You would send Jesus back that You would bring Him back to restore us, to restore culture and government and art and education and the planet itself. Father, bring Your Son back. And until He comes back, allow my life, allow this church, allow Your, your representatives on earth to be the foretaste of Jesus' return. And that is just one way that you can pray Your kingdom come according to the pattern of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. That's just one example of how to pray the Lord's Prayer. Now ask yourself, whose kingdom coming is most important to you? Whose kingdom coming? Whose agenda on the horizon? Whose administration is the most important to you? You know, until Jesus' future return makes a present impact on us, we will remain obsessed promoting the agendas of leaders we love and undermining the agendas of leaders we hate. That's what's going to matter the most to you. Until Jesus' future return makes the biggest present impact on your thinking. And that begins with Jesus' return being at the center of your prayer life. What, do you, what are we praying about all the time? Do we pray for Jesus to come back? Do we pray for His return to be, to be previewed in our living, in our speaking, in our behavior, in our own agendas? If you don't, you will remain stubbornly blind to the only, king, the only kingdom that really matters. The words that Jesus offered to Pontius Pilate, these words scared Pilate. Pilate had all the authority in a military and a political sense. Jesus was standing there as a beaten commoner with no way to politically or militarily or physically defend himself. And he said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. 
And those words were just as important for us as they were for Pilate who heard it, and just as important for Jesus' followers at the time who had to wrestle with that. They were fed up with the Romans and the Herodians and the Greeks before them and the Persians before them and the Babylonians before them and their own corrupt their own corrupt Israeli kings before them and the Egyptians who enslaved them for hundreds of years. They were way more fed up than you and I are with our government. Way more fed up. And the disciples had to walk with Jesus hearing the words, my kingdom is not of this world. And we need to hear those words also. And actually, to hear the words, my kingdom is not of this world, should be as terrifying to us as it was to Pilate. The American author Frederick Beekner wrote these powerful words about praying, your kingdom come. He said, when we pray your kingdom come, we are asking God to be God. To do not what we want, but what God wants. We are asking God to make manifest the holiness that is now mostly hidden, to set free in all its terrible splendor the devastating power that is now mostly under restraint. And if that were suddenly to happen, what then? What would stand? And what would fall? Who would be welcomed in and who would be thrown the hell out? And he finally says, it is only the words, our Father, that make the prayer bearable. Remembering that we pray these words, your kingdom come, to someone whom we call our Father in heaven who loves us and has, and has adopted us forever into his home. This is what transforms our terror, the fear of the terrible return of Jesus Christ to finally be Lord and judge of all things. It transforms that terrible fear to a personal precious longing. If you don't belong to Jesus, you should be petrified of the fact that he's coming back. If you belong to Him, that fear changes into an expectation, in, into an expectation that your big brother is returning to make things right. And what rescues you and me from the wrath of God's coming kingdom is the fact that you're already a citizen of it. This is the message of the gospel that you do not need to fear Jesus returning to make everything right because you're already a member of His kingdom coming. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8 that because of His Spirit indwelling us, that we are actually God's children. And if we're God's children, we are heirs to inherit His coming kingdom. And the Apostle Peter said in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 2, that the church, that Christ's followers collectively are a holy nation that knows no political or racial or ethnic or, ling or linguistic or class borders or distinctions. A timeless, global, holy nation of everybody who submits to Jesus as Lord right now. You're an heir, and together we are a holy nation. You're already a citizen of the kingdom of God, and that gives you all the permission and all the confidence to ask, Father, may your kingdom come. And if you're not a citizen of that kingdom, I, I, I implore you to become one now. And don't wait for Jesus to come back to reveal the terrible, awesome beauty and judgment and justice 
of His kingdom. Let Him be your Lord now. Don't wait. How is that possible? The same way it's possible for me and for many of the people in this room. Jesus only had one agenda while He was here for 33 years. He had one agenda. His agenda, He said, was to follow His Heavenly Father's agenda. The simplest way of following in your Savior's footsteps or allowing Jesus to be your Lord is to say God's agenda has now become my agenda. Jesus' one agenda was to father His Father's agenda. And this was God's agenda for His eternal Son. Jesus submitted Himself. This is amazing. Jesus submitted Himself to earth's kingdom. He submitted Himself to the, literally to the Roman Empire and to Herod and to Pontius Pilate. He submitted Himself to the kingdom of this world so that you and I could enter His heavenly kingdom. That's the good news of Christianity. Jesus took on a physical body. Jesus submitted that body to the Roman government. Jesus died in that body. Jesus resurrected that body by the power of the Spirit of God. And He did all of that to prove to us that God's not giving up on this world. God's not giving up on the physical world in which we live. He's not giving up on our bodies. He's not giving up on our minds. He's not giving up on government and art and, and relationships. He's not throwing it all out. Heaven is coming here. We're not going there when Jesus returns. Read the book of Revelation. God showed us that He's not giving up, that, that He's coming back in His Son to redeem this broken, physical, psychological, relational, political mess that we're all in. Not by taking us out of it, but by bringing Himself into it. That's what we ask for when we say, Father, Your kingdom come. And the, day, the last thing Jesus says in the Bible in Revelation chapter 22 is, Surely I am coming soon. And the response that you can give is, Amen, come, Lord Jesus. If Jesus proved that God isn't giving up on the world, now don't you give up on it either. And don't you give up on your life either because God's not giving up on it. You persevere. You put aside your own agendas and, and you look at decent agendas that you see leaders have and you put them in perspective and you do what you can. You make good decisions, but you put your hope in God's agenda alone. You make Him your Lord. Not only because you said a prayer at some point in your life, you practically make Him your Lord by keeping His agenda at the center of your prayer life. His agenda based on what His Word says, not upon what you think and what people say. Don't you give up. But, but, but not by trying to bring His kingdom. You wait for His kingdom. You pray for His kingdom. And we represent. We represent His kingdom now. And this protects us from the despair and the rage of our surrounding world. Christians pray to align their lives with God's agenda for human history. Let's pray. Father, we lack the wisdom to sometimes distinguish between what is your will and what is just by an extension of your common kindness good things for us to be involved in and do in this life. Father, we don't reject being salt and light. We ask that you would help us to be 
the aroma of Jesus in this lifetime. For we ask more than anything else that you would give us wisdom to distinguish the difference between your son's agenda for human history and people's agendas and our agendas. I pray that you would help us to pray more than anything that he would return and that for now we would give people a blessed foretaste of what it will be like when he restores all things. Father, we don't have the ability to do that ourselves. We ask that your spirit would work in us and that we would keep in step with your Holy Spirit in every sphere of life in which you've called us to endeavor. So, Father, would you do it? Would you, would you bring your kingdom to bear? And, Father, I pray for anyone in this room who is unsure of that or terrified of that, that you would reveal to them not only your terrible justice and perfection, but your loving compassion, your kindness, and your patience. May we all come to know Jesus as our Lord and you as our Father. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come.